It has been quite a week. Started with Jonathan's wreck accident, whatever, on Sunday. We've had just a, a heck of a week. If y'all are, are prayerful of Mark, I'd like for you to kind of remember him. If you know who I'm talking about, he's in uh, the hospital on a ventilator. We had uh, a funeral we had to do this week. Just been a, a long, difficult week. And God help us, we had a deacon's retreat on top of everything else. Can y'all just, just kind of give me a little pity on this one? No, I'm just kidding. We had a great, great time with our deacons this past weekend. We had the opportunity of having the guy who wrote a book, A Deacon on Purpose, come and train our deacons on Friday night on four basic principles and responsibilities of a deacon. And then yesterday, we had a guy come. He is actually... He has a title called the Chair of Fire, which is the head of the evangelism department for Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I, I never knew that was a thing, but I want to be a chair of fire as long as it's not the wrong kind of fire. It's, it's a cool thing came and talked about two sides of the same coin, evangelism and discipleship. And we had a great time training and learning and fellowship and growing. But there's also kind of, you get a group of men together, they do kind of dumb things sometimes. Are you with me on this? So we decided, we, I don't want to say we, they decided that we're going to go on a hike on Friday night. And so we're going through these paths. And normally it's not a big deal whenever you're at camp to go through a hike, but people haven't been there in, in a couple months. People haven't been there to walk the trails. And so now what we have in these, in these hikes and the trails are spider webs everywhere. And so we had a guy, JR, who had this stick and basically he's wanding the whole thing as we're going through. You've got spiders falling on people's heads. You've got some of our deacons who are funny who are throwing rocks in the trees. Some guy actually downloaded an app in the middle of the hike with like bear noises and cougar noises, and he was having a great time. And as we come out of it, James McGee, one of our deacons, his legs are just ate up with all these different kinds of bites, whether it's spiders, mosquitoes, chiggers, whatever. Who knows? Maybe a snake, maybe a cougar bit him. His leg just ate up and so in our mind, we had, man, this great idea, we're going to go down this path, but our way didn't really end well for James. Good news for, for me, I didn't get any bites, so I'm really happy about that. But for him, it led to like his leg looking like it had been completely and totally destroyed. But that's what happens when we decide to go our own way and our own path. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at Judges chapter 17. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Judges, it's not a good book to where we look at everything and say, okay, I want to model myself after this. Judges is more of a book where we look at it and say, I don't want to do anything like this. And the further you get in the book of Judges, the farther and farther away they get from God and their lifestyles and their practices and their principles. And where Judges starts off and it's a cycle of maybe having peace and prosperity, and then they sin and the oppression and discipline, which brings about repentance and deliverance. In Judges 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, it's more like the train has completely gone off the rails. The people of God are going their own way, and it's not even this bad. It's like they are completely gone from the teachings and practices and principles of God. So we're going to look at a guy named Micah and how he lived his life, and he's a representation of where the people of God were at this time. Judges chapter 17, verse 1, it starts off, it says, there was a man of the hill country in Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoken to my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it, and his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. 
and he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. Now, what you may or may not catch here is his mother had 1,100 piece, 1, pieces of silver taken from her. That was the equivalent of more than one year's worth of wages, and it was stolen from her. And as you think through what would happen if somebody stole a year's worth of your wages, she was angry, she was upset, and so as she's dealing with her anger and the frustration of this moment and the situation of having something being robbed from her, she's saying, Lord, I pray a curse on whatever thief stole from me. I pray that hardship would come upon him and his family that you would destroy him. Let his leg fall off. All these different kind of curses coming upon him. May their generation after generation be cursed because of what this person did. So the son hears this, and he responds by saying, Mom, it was me. It was me. Stop the cursing, okay? Quit wishing all this harm on everybody else. And so he restored, verse 3, he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. Continuing on, it says in verse 4, so when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made a carved image and a metal image, and it was the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and a household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, what we see in this, patch, in this passage is a clear indication of where the people were at this time. They had completely strayed from the word of God. They had completely strayed from the practices of God, from the teachings of God, from a lifestyle that represented God in any way whatsoever. Things were so bad. This story tells us the heart of the people of Israel that you had sons, a son specifically named Micah, who was willing to rob the, the retirement plan of his mother. He stole from his, the mother who birthed him, who raised him, who provided his He stole from his own mom. He took from her so that he could have a better life, so he could have better stuff. Can you imagine how deprived, how depraved you must be in this moment to steal from your own mother? And we're not talking about lunch money. We're not talking about, hey, I want to go to a movie. My mom's there, so I'm going to take a 20. She's not home. I'm just going to take a 20. No big deal. I'm going to have dinner and a movie. I'm going to go hang out. We're talking about her retirement plan. I'm going to take the equivalent of more than what she earned in one year because I want it and she doesn't deserve it. So I'm going to steal from my own mom. Do you understand how far from God you have to be to do something like this? And in our minds, what we think is that he's showing contempt for his mom, that he's sinning against his mom, that he's doing all this to his mom. But there's a bigger thing at play here. Straying away from God, straying in general, sinfulness displays a true contempt for the Lord, not just the person that you're wronging. So whenever you have someone who's willing to harm someone, who's willing to take from someone, who's willing to do something that leads to somebody else's downfall or destruction, that is truly a contempt for the Lord because you're rejecting God's word, you're rejecting his principles, you're rejecting his teaching, you're rejecting all these things. And so in this, the true sin, even though he sinned against his mom, is really against the Lord Almighty. And there's a lot to be learned in this because if you're willing to do something like that to your mom, 
Imagine how far gone and what you would do to a stranger, somebody you don't even know. In this passage, we see that straying is a contempt for the Lord himself. And as you think through this, there's something else at play. Not only is straying contempt for the Lord, we might think, okay, naturally straying is contempt for his mother. But, but really, when we stray from the teachings and the principles of God, straying shows a true contempt for ourselves. Because sinfulness goes against our own well-being. Sinfulness shows that we have a lack of regard for ourselves. And you've got to think about the result of sinfulness. God's statutes, his teachings, his word, his instructions are for our own good. Like when we live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, we get to avoid hurt. We get to avoid regrets. We get to avoid shame. We get to avoid remorse. When we live according to what God's word says, it leads to joy. It leads to prosperity. It, looks, it results in fullness. But when we go our own way, we're acting contrary to our own well-being. It's kind of like saying that, trim needs, or that tree needs to be trimmed. So I'm going to stand on the edge and I'm going to saw. If we saw on the wrong end and we fall down, all it does is hurt us. When we move in our way and away from God's direction, his decree, his righteousness, his holiness, all it does is hurt us. It hurts relationships. It hurts friendships. It hurts everything around us. Like, think about it this way. Have you ever said something about somebody else and it got back to them? What is the end result whenever you gossip about some, someone or you trash talk someone and they find out? It comes back, it ruins that relationship. Anytime we sin, we fall prey to the devil's enemy to destroy. And remember the, the words of, of, of God, of Jesus, when he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When we fail to live according to God's life, we steal our future. We destroy friendships, relationships, positions, influences. We destroy our lives. And this is where the people of God were. They were living in the destruction that was a result of their own sinfulness. And then you have kind of this mother who's in a rock and a hard place because she has cursed the person who has stolen from her and she realizes that it's her son. And so she kind of makes this deal with God. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son. Now remember this. I dedicate the silver from my hand. I dedicate the 11 hundred pieces of silver on behalf of my son to cover his sinfulness. She's trying to make amends and undo the curse that she had to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So in her mind, she's thinking, okay, there's this sin that has taken place because somebody stole from me. I issued a curse. But what I'm going to do is for Yahweh, I'm going to make a carved image, and a metal image. Now, to, to, if, if it's not crystal clear, she had removed herself so far from the Word of God, so far from the teachings of God, so far from the, the practices of the people of God. The people of Israel were so far removed from God and His Word that she's saying, for the Lord... I'm going to instill within my home and within my house practices that are pagan. 
She's saying, instead of worshiping the creator, I am going to create an image. Instead of worshiping the God that made you, me, this world, everything in it, I'm going to make something and try and have that make amends. She's trying to do the right thing, but because she wasn't in the Word, because she wasn't in church going to the synagogue, because she wasn't practicing the Word of God, because it had been a long time since she maybe even heard the things of God, she adapted to the principles of the pagan society and the pagan culture in which she lived. This is how far gone she was. In her heart and her mind, she says, all right, this wrong has been done, but I have a plan. I'm going to figure it out. Please catch this. Anytime we mess up, anytime we're far from God and we try to fix things our way, when we're far from God and we try to clean ourselves up or we try to clean the situation up, void of the teachings and principle of God's word and his principles and his practices, all we do is make it worse, which means we have to pay attention to our heart because our heart has suspect motivations. Our heart, the emotional center of our being, our hearts that that guides our, our feelings, which influences our thoughts and our practices, our hearts at best are suspect. Now, a little over a year ago, there was this game that came out. It's called Among Us. I don't know if any of y'all have ever played this game, if you know anything about it. Uh, I find it very boring. I've tried to play it with my kids. I don't like it. They like it. They still play it sometimes. It's not real popular, but they still do it every once in a while. But the whole thing is, in the middle, there's these people on a spaceship. They look like the dude in red. And as they're going through, there's an imposter among them. The imposter's goal is to kill everybody else on the ship, and the the goal of the other people is to find out who's suspect. So if you've ever heard, oh, that's kind of sus, that means they're kind of suspect, can't be trusted. Okay? So in this... We have to understand something about ourselves, something about our own nature. Our own nature, at best, is suspect. At worst, our own nature is going to still kill and destroy. It's going to still kill and destroy our lives. It's going to still kill and destroy our reputation. It's going to still kill and destroy our well-being. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, describes it this way. It says, the heart, right, the emotional center, where you get your feelings from that influences your thoughts and your practices. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We don't think about ourselves this way. We like to think, well, I'm a good person. I do good things. I love others. I'm going to live for God. But whenever we're controlled by our feelings and our emotions, instead of by the Holy Spirit that lives in us and works through us. Whenever we're guided by what we think instead of what the Word of God says, all it does is lead to our destruction because the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. It cannot be trusted. Deuteronomy 12, 8 addresses people doing things their own way instead of God's way by saying this, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in their own eyes You should not do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. You're going to try and explain and justify, but the reality is we should not live according to our way of thinking, our thoughts, our desires. We should live for God in His ways. As we go back to our text, it says this. So when he restored the money to his mother, 
His mother took 200 pieces of silver, not the 1,100. Like, push came to shove. She's like, all right, this is my whole retirement. I'm not giving a lot. I'll give 200. Just make a little compromise here. And gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image, a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. So she's trying to make amends with God. She makes a carved image, which is pagan, and she places it in her house. And just to make matters worse, verse 5, and the man Micah had a shrine. So in their house, he builds a shrine to a false god trying to make amends to Yahweh, to the holy and righteous one. He makes a shrine. And just to make it even worse, he made an ephod and household gods. And then just to add insult into injury, and just to go ahead and make it even worse, he ordained one of his sons who became his priest. That's not how any of this works, right? You don't, you don't make a, a, a craven image. You, you don't make this image. You don't create something in hopes of getting right with God. You definitely don't have a shrine with a false God on it to get right with the Lord God Almighty. But she's doing things her own way. And what suffers is not just her life. Her son is suffering because of it. He's led astray. And then his son takes her grandson and makes him part of this. The word of God has absolutely nothing to do with anything in this situation. This family is representing the people of Israel who did not even know the proper way to worship because they had strayed from the word of God. They had dismissed the word of God and they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They thought they were making it better. But there is a reason that the word of God describes our hearts as foolish. There is a reason the word of God describes our hearts as evil and stubborn and ignorant. It's because when we go our own way, it is removing us from the presence of God, is removing us from the principles of God. When we go our own way, the result is always destruction. Proverbs 26, 12 says this, and this is repeated throughout the book of Proverbs. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. When we go our own way, when we turn from the word of God, when we try and do things, it always leads to destruction. And as we think through the principle of what this destroys and everything in it, it starts with this idea of knowing that it will ruin you, it will break you, it will kill, it will destroy relationships. It leads to hurt and heartache. The result of our sinfulness going our own way is that there's brokenness in our lives. There's emptiness. There's a void that we try to fill, and you see this throughout so many people who are far from God. They're like, okay, if I can have more relationships, maybe more women or more men who make me feel special, then I'll have meaning and significance. The problem with that is they're empty because God's not in it. Whenever you're talking about possessions, it's why money is never enough for the person far from God because you can't fill something up that was meant with the God-sized hole in your heart. The only thing that can give purpose, that can provide meaning, that can take away the guilt and the shame and the despair that people have because they don't know God is God himself. And the reason they got in this trouble, the reason they got in this problem is they had replaced the one true God with false gods. And the, the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod in the household gods and ordained one of his sons who became a priest. Do you see how sick this is? How evil it is, how bad it is. 
Not only did he replace the one true God with false gods, he brought his son up and said, you're going to be my priest. It's not what the word, there, there was a specific tribe and a specific people and a specific ordinance that was to take place in this position. He's doing everything his own way. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. There was no one giving direction. There was no leadership. Everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. The train's not only off the rails at this point, the trail's headed off a cliff, it's going to blow up, and everybody in Israel, their lives and their lifestyles and their future was going to be destroyed because God was not a part of it. And we can see it in the idolatry. The idolatry in that they had removed God and replaced God as God. They had removed God's teachings and his principle and God himself and followed the way of the world. And the thing that's so tragic about this is I'm not sure that we've learned this lesson because people have other stuff they worship. Like we're getting into to football season. People are like, Cole, just stop right there. It's good news for us. The Cowboys have been terrible. They're going to be terrible this year too. just want to Remind, and we got some New Orleans people. Your saints are going to be a bunch of ants this year too. So let's just put that all together. Like, hey now, hey now. We're all going to be bad. But what happens is we're like, all right, it's Sunday. I'm going to put my gear. I'm going to dress. I'm going to do this. And we might alter our life around the cowboy game or a college football game. Or maybe, maybe our idolatry isn't around sports. Maybe it's like hunting or fishing. Deer season's coming up not too long. I know that God wants me to live for him and to make the Sabbath holy and for me to focus on that, but I really like the lake. I really like hunting. Hunting season only lasts for a few months, and so I've got to be at the deer lease every week. Or maybe it's like this stuff, like I really got to have this house, and so we fix our, our heart's attention on this new thing, this new shiny thing, the, the, this house that we got to have, or maybe it's a position in our work. Maybe our work becomes, becomes our idol, or maybe it's our family, and we replace God as the thing that is most important in our life. We replace God as the thing that is the motivation by which we live our lives. We replace God and we follow stuff or things instead of the creator and the sustainer of the universe. God Almighty who loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus who was born, placed in a manger, grew up, lived a perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice for our sins, died on the cross from our sins, bore our sins, and having satisfied the wrath of God, the penalty of our sin, he rose victorious over death, sin, and the grave, and in him we have life. But what happens for us a lot of times is we look at all he did and we say, yeah, I know you're God, but I really like these things. My heart attention is focused on this possession or what people think about me, or my social media likes, or maybe this, this thing that I've just really wanted forever. Idolatry. Removing and replacing God as God. And if you can't catch it, idolatry is a perversion of what worship is supposed to be. Worship is supposed to be all about God, not about us. It's not us coming to God and saying, you know what? I want to worship you, but they sang a hymn instead of a praise and worship song today, and that just can't happen. Or 
they, they sung a, a praise and worship song instead of a hymn today. Or I, I would have I been able to praise and, and worship you, but it was too hot or too cold, too loud or too soft. Worship is about focusing our mind's attention on God and saying, you are my Lord and my Savior and I will praise you. In my hardship, in my struggles, in my pain, in my despair, you're still enough, so I will praise you. Regardless of my circumstances, you love me and you call me with an unconditional love and you redeem me, so I will praise you. There was a song that we're going to sing in the invitation that speaks to this a little bit. Having a heart of worship is this idea that, that we delight in Jesus and we express that in him. But what the people had done in this passage, what Micah did and his mother did and what the people of Israel were doing is they were saying, you know what, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. I'm not going to follow God's word and his righteous decree. I'm going to do whatever I want. Another word for this or term for this is moral relativism. What that means is the belief that states that there are no fixed values in morality. Values are always changing and our relative is a belief. The belief is that values in general change from individual to individual. You know what happened in the time that this was written? It's the same thing that's happening today. You don't have truth. The Word of God doesn't have truth, whatever I think is truth. That's why you can have people who actually believe, even though they have male anatomy and male DNA, that they're a woman, because that's how they identify and they say, this is my truth. Or you have a woman that has woman DNA and female anatomy, and she says, I'm not a female, I'm a male. Or I have no gender at all. They have replaced truth for a lie. They have taken whatever they think is right. And remember, when we go according to our heart, we are foolish, we're ignorant. If you have anyone who can deny their physical makeup and say, no, this isn't really real, what I think is real, then it just leads to their own destruction. So my thought is, how do we go from a place of moral relativism? How do we go from a place of idolatry? How do we move from going our own way to focusing on God? Like, what is the way in which we live according to God's word? We live according to God's statutes, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. I would say this. It starts by having a true heart of worship. A true heart of worship. Like if we're not going to fall into idolatry, we need to be a men and a women, a people of God who worships the true God in spirit and truth. Where we say, God, I know what you have done for me. You created me. You made me. You sustained me. You saved me. You forgave me of my sin and you've given me life and purpose. So I will praise you. The, the heart of worship says this. The heart of worship is our heart delighting in Jesus and expressing praise to him for the true things that scripture teaches us about who he is and what he has accomplished for us. It is then all about Jesus, not us. It involves us, but we're in the periphery. He is at the center. He is the focus. To have a true heart of worship means that it's his commands we consider first, not our preferences. It's about refocusing and recentering and reminding ourselves and our lives on why we worship and who we worship. A heart of worship means that everything in my life, whether it's on Sunday morning in song or the way that I work or the way that I am a spouse or a child or a friend, 
will be to the glory of God. Have a heart of worship. Worship him in all aspects of your life. Number two, have a heart for the word. You don't get this far gone like they were in Judges 17 unless you completely ignore, close up your Bible, and have nothing to do with it. You want to live in God's way, you have got to walk in truth. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the same way that J.R. was having that stick to knock down the spider webs, to keep us free from harm and bites and all these things that could have happened to us. We need to take the word of God and navigate our life, following it according to his path and his plan and his instruction for us. And that is for our own well-being and benefit. Be men and women who not only hear and study and know the word of God, but apply it and live it out in our daily lives. Be men and women of the word. Be young men and young women of the word. Get in it, study it, apply it to your life. Number three, you want to live according to the way of God. Have a heart for works. We don't do good works so that we can be saved. We live out our faith. We have good works because we are saved. Because of what Christ has done for us. We serve others. We love others. We serve and love in Jesus' name. We give of ourselves for the cause and the kingdom of Christ. We find ways in which we can be active. And I'm telling you, when you are serving others, when you are giving of yourself, you find yourself fueled by the Spirit, motivated to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It all comes down to the choice. Who are you going to live for? Which way are you going to go? Are you going to choose God's way or your way? 